Brody, and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system for a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Well, welcome, Megan Poodler, to the Amplify OT podcast. I am so excited to have you. Megan and I have known each other for what, like three years? Yeah. Now, I think we met in New Orleans for the first time Mm because Megan came on after I was an AOTA student. But I am so excited to have you. So why don't you introduce yourself? What do you do at AOTA? How'd you get involved? So tell us about you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So I work in the AOTA policy department as a state affairs manager. I monitor and analyze proposed legislation that affects uh, occupational therapy in the states. Um, Issues are related to scope of practice, um, licensure portability, state regulation of occupational therapy, telehealth. um, And I assist our state occupational therapy associations in developing state um, uh, strategies for protecting and advancing the association's policy interests uh, but at the state level. Um, so I got involved in it. Um, I've always been uh, involved in like a political space uh, after I graduated from college and working like a couple of those random odd jobs. Um, I ended up working a legislative session at the Connecticut General Assembly, and I really fell in love with state government affairs. Um, I then moved to D.C. and I worked at a legislative monitoring firm uh, tracking and analyzing uh, state legislation for a number of healthcare clients. Um, from there, before coming to AOTA, I was working uh, in state policy for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, and then I came to AOTA and I've been here for almost four years. Wow. So were you familiar with occupational therapy before you started working for AOTA or was that kind of your first introduction to OT? I was like a very surface level familiar with occupational therapy. Um, I have a couple of friends that are occupational therapists and then a number of friends um, whose kids actually utilize occupational therapy services. It's a very surface level, um, but it is such a wonderful profession. And I'm so thankful to have learned just so much uh, from the profession. And I feel like I learned something new every day. Well, and we are thankful to have you, especially with all that experience, because I think it's one thing that people definitely don't always recognize is that the state Kind of the, the level of issues at the state and how state government works can be very different from how the federal government works. And I think that's just kind of an interesting aspect. And so that's why it's so important, because if anyone doesn't know, AOTA has both a federal affairs team and a state affairs team. And it's really important that we have both, because obviously the federal affairs works much more closely with the federal Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives and the state Senate or the federal Senate versus our state affairs teams works a lot more on that individual state level, uh, which makes a lot of work because you're responsible for monitoring all 50 states. (laughs) Yeah, all 50 states. And you're right, too. I mean, state policies really can affect like the nitty gritties of your practice. I mean, states control your practice act. So what you can do states uh, within, you know, Medicaid can control how much you're paid and who you can work on. Um, states can really implement a number of different uh, smaller scale barriers that can really affect your day-to-day practice. So it's so important to really know the laws of your state and what's happening on the state level. And that's why it's so important we have representation on both levels, because yes, a lot of issues are federal, because I think we automatically think a lot of things are federal, like Medicare policy and those sorts of things. But when it comes down to those supervision laws, your licensure laws, how many Mm -hmm. CEUs you need, 
all of that is on the state level, which is why it's exactly. so important we have our state associations in conjunction with AOTA mm -hmm. and then have wonderful people like yourself working in our state affairs team um, because it's been such a valuable and it's helpful to have someone at that federal point where all the state associations are communicating with, because mm -hmm. I think we found that helpful. So I used to be the director of practice for the Missouri Occupational Therapy Association, and we would have legislation come up and we'd send it to the state affairs team. And they'd say, oh, well, that legislation was also mm -hmm. introduced in these four other states. And here's what happened. And so we would never have known that, mm -hmm. you know, as a volunteer association, that it's also been introduced in for other states. And I think that's something that also people don't know that oftentimes legislation can be introduced in numerous states because it comes out of big think tanks. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, I think, so helpful to know the trends and what's going on and even, you know, what arguments have worked and haven't worked and, you know, the best tactics. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things too, is just the sharing of information across states and making sure folks are really keyed into like what the big picture is. Yeah, I always say that part of that learning how to advocate is learning what strings to pull and when, because some things have to go through the legislature versus sometimes it just takes an email to the Medicaid State Department being like, hey, this isn't clear. And they're like, oh, mm -hmm. we can fix that right up versus sometimes it actually has to go through the whole legislative process. But talking about bills that have been introduced in numerous states, we're here to talk mostly about the licensure compact which is such an exciting initiative and one that I don't know that enough people have heard about. Um, and Megan has really been the point person on a lot of the licensure compact issues. We have worked closely together on it in Missouri. So how about you tell me about the licensure compact and how AOTA kind of came to the decision to work mm -hmm. on this project? Because it's definitely not new. We're yeah. now hearing a lot <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's such an exciting initiative and it has really taken off. So I'm so excited to tell people about it. Um, and I hope that um, not everyone is hearing about it for the first time, but uh, the <laughs> Occupational Therapy Licensure Compact uh, will really increase licensure portability for both occupational therapists and occupational therapy assistants. Um, it'll allow practitioners to practice in all other compact member states, uh, either in person or via telehealth through a compact privilege. Um, so compact overall is a legal agreement between states that will allow uh, OTs and OTAs to practice in the states that join the compact. And then to join the compact, a state or a jurisdiction uh, has to enact uh, the OT compact legislation into law. The legislation um, has to be the same in every single state. And overall, the bottom line is just um, it'll provide um, a licensed OT or OTA the opportunity to really practice in these states that join the compact. And they won't have to secure a new license in each state, um, which we have learned can be burdensome in some cases and really take some time. Um, and so this has been a conversation for the last few years. I think we started talking about it in like 2015. And we've been really having conversations around licensure portability. Um, but those conversations were really focused on telehealth and increasing access to services via telehealth. Um, but in 2015, there was a motion brought before the Representative Assembly to really um, look into this more. And an ad hoc committee was created on portability. Um, they did a lot of research on different ways to increase licensure portability for the profession, including um, expedited licensure. But they really decided that the best way to move forward, the longest lasting, uh, was going to be a licensure compact. Um, unfortunately, at the time, there was a little bit of a pause just because telehealth legislation hadn't really caught up. And I think we were on a pretty good track there. Um, so the focus really became payment for OT via telehealth, but especially under Medicare, um, which is something we're still working on today. 
Um, but at the same time, other professions like nursing and physical therapy began to create these licensure compacts. And it really created uh, a great environment for occupational therapy to pursue this. Um, so um, the compact was included in the strategic plan in 2018, and it was fully funded. Uh, and so this is now a joint initiative with AOTA and NBCOT. Um, the two organizations have been collaborating and working with the Council of State Governments, who have done a number of these compacts for other professions. Uh, we're also working with state occupational therapy associations and state regulatory entities to really make this compact a reality. So uh, it's really taken off. Um, we are super excited about the initiative, um, and we cannot wait for it to be fully up and running and for folks to be able to get those compact privileges. Yeah, and we've made a lot of progress over just even the last couple of years. And I think you talking about how it's been a conversation really since 2015 emphasizes a lot of the points um, that I try and make is that we have to pay attention early in these mm -hmm. processes, right? Because if you're just hearing about it now, it shows how much work has really been going on and how much opportunity there's been to get involved mm -hmm. prior to today. And I think too, it's also interesting and it's great to see a collaboration between AOTA and NBCOT. And I think that's an important distinction that they are technically two completely separate bodies, which makes mm -hmm. us different from like what APTA has, where their national board certification is lumped in with APTA mm -hmm. versus AOTA and NBCT, NBCOT are two separate entities. So it's exciting to see them together. So did AOTA approach NBCOT or do you know how that happened? Yep. Um, so actually, that first conversation around licensure portability it, um, happened at the NBCOT State Regulatory Forum. Um, and so then, uh, as we were developing this, we did AOTA approached NBCOT for a meeting and said, you know, we want to talk more about this licensure compact. And uh, NBCOT is contributing um, a good amount of money for this initiative um, and also just been such wonderful collaborative partners. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think one thing that I found so interesting too with the compact is that it's not just a compact is just this old agreement and it's just a term that can be used. Cause didn't they say like compacts originated with something like discussing how you distribute like water, like if a river goes between two States, mm -hmm. how you share that water. So it's a, it's an old term that's been around for a long time. Yeah. It's a legal, it's just a legal agreement between States. Um, there are a number of bridges too, that are like compacts. Um, so they really are long lasting. Um, a great example of a compact as well is just your driver's license. You get licensed in one state, you can drive across the state lines and drive in those other states. You just have to follow the laws of that state while you're driving. Oh, gosh. Could you imagine if we had to get a driver's license in every state we wanted to drive through? <laughs> oh, that would gosh. be awful. That would be horrendous. I wouldn't go anywhere ever. <laughs> no, I would never leave the like 16 mile vicinity of D.C. <laughs> That's true. And DC would be especially terrible. Especially terrible. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Megan. Don't worry. We will be right back after this break to discuss more things licensure compact, how we got it implemented in the States and what's coming next. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. 
But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who are share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses, and that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AMPLIFYOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AMPLIFYOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support Amplify OT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to medbridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to medbridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. I've been so excited for the compact. So I, I live in North Carolina now, but I lived in Missouri. I lived in Kansas City. So I lived like right on the state line. In my own personal story with talking about the burdensome of licensure, you know, in Missouri, I had a fairly easy time getting my license. But in Kansas, I definitely did not have the same experience. And I ended up having my Kansas license delayed by a few months, which not only was bad for me, I lost money because I was in home health. And so I couldn't treat any Kansas patients mm-hmm. until I got my license. And it all ended up being because I missed that there was like a $2 fee, which also then meant decreased access to patients because there wasn't an OT who could treat them. And so it was just such an exceptional burden. And I think this is something that a lot of people are familiar with because a lot of people work Mm -hmm. on state lines. And so it's not even just that telehealth issue. So why else should practitioners, you know, care about this compact? Why should we be excited Mm -hmm. that AOTA is doing it? Yeah, look. AOTA, we like and we support licensure. We worked so hard for so many years to ensure that every single state and jurisdiction licensed OTs and OTAs were constantly working to protect that licensure. But like you said, we understand that it can be a barrier for practitioners, especially practitioners that are looking to get licensed in multiple states. And it's not just even that initial licensure, right? It's the renewal. Um, so it really, all of it takes a lot of time and effort because of paperwork and money. 
Um, we know a lot of practitioners are working more than one state or want to work in more than one state. And the pandemic has also really shed light on, you know, being able to practice across state lines. We had a number of cases where clients relocated to another state or, you know, went temporarily somewhere. And we got so many questions about like, can I treat this patient? And, you know, some states did offer some flexibility there, but with a licensure compact within 10 minutes, someone could have a license to practice in that state and access that client. Um, so really with the compact, a practitioner will be able to more quickly get a privilege to practice, be able to practice in more than just their home state. Um, so if a client goes out of town for a weekend or an indefinite period of time, you could really still be able to access them. Um, if you're a traveling therapist, you can easily move between states. Um, it's really going to be helpful for military spouses uh, who move around a lot. Um, it really just offers a lot more opportunity for folks. Folks don't have to really take the, a lot of time and energy um, really trying to get licensed or understand the licensure requirements in each state. Um, and it also builds in a lot of public protection still that, you know, some other ways um, to license someone more quickly just don't have, frankly. Um, so it'll really enhance mobility for OT practitioners, support relocating of military spouses, improve continuity of care if a client was to travel. Um, and then bottom line, too, is it increases market opportunities for OTs and OTAs by authorizing practice in member states. Um, and again, that does include via telehealth, um, which has really been taking off during the pandemic. Yeah, I think that's a good point, especially I think we've seen a lot of that with the pandemic where, you know, my patient relocates to Florida for three mm -hmm. months and I still want to see them in telehealth, but you have to be licensed in the same state where that patient is. And we had that same state issue in our hospital. We started seeing patients in telehealth. A mm -hmm. lot of people come to our hospital in Missouri from Kansas because we're so mm -hmm. close, but we couldn't see those patients unless we had a practitioner who was licensed in both exactly. states. So how, so I think that's the other thing that emphasizes how big of a task this compact mm -hmm. is, because it's not something that just takes place in one Congress. It has to take place in each separate state Congress. So we have to pass this in each state separately. AOTA mm -hmm. doesn't get to just wave their magic wand and it's all of a sudden oh, passed in 15 <laughs> states, right? So how did you convince states to get involved in this compact? It's really been a joint advocacy effort in the states with state occupational therapy associations, as well as the regulatory entities um, and AOTA. And really the state occupational therapy associations have led the charge on the ground um, we know this takes a number of resources and time, and it has to be a priority for the state association. Um, for instance, in like a couple of states, I know other issues have come up, and this really got pushed back another session or put on the back burner um, as they work through some other initiatives. Um, but we really have been sharing about this initiative for a while now. Um, and so I really think the moment we announced that this was happening and we we're going to start introducing legislation, we had so many states just saying, I want to be involved in this. I want to jump on board. Can I be the first? And it became a little competitive too, I think, <laughs> at some points about which state was going to be number one, which state was going to be number 10. Um, and, you know, really um, the, the jump off was, was just, it took off so quickly. Um, we did identify a number of states that had been successful in enacting compacts. Um, you know, a number of professions do have compacts, and we knew there were a couple of states that were really fertile ground for this, Utah and Nebraska being two of them that have adopted a, a good number of them. Um, so we focused on those and just reached out to the state association and said, hey, listen, like, is this something that could be a priority for you? Um, we put on a number of webinars for overall membership for state association leadership. 
Um, and yeah, like I said, just a lot of states were clamoring to get involved and wanting to join, which was really, uh, really great. And that's really helpful too, because it just, it, it does take up a lot of time and energy. Um, and so we're excited that um, it's been so successful thanks to that work. Yeah. And I think, you know, for Moda, we were able to support the initiative and I think I attended probably, so I was in charge of a lot of our legislative issues. I attended one of the compact webinars that you all held with Chuck and um, the compact group. And we knew in Missouri, at least that we had already passed the PT compact. We already had Mm -hmm. the nursing compact and we also already had licensure portability for military families. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, Missouri approves of compact issues. And so I remember reaching out to AOTA and to the compact group and saying, hey, Missouri wants to take this on. We voted on it as a board to say, are we going to support this compact? And that's where, you know, you've been really helpful. You helped us find a lobbyist. And I think that's another key piece that people sometimes forget that, you know, state associations, we are volunteer run. You know, Mm -hmm. none of us receive any kind of payment or salary to participate on the state association boards. It's all volunteer. So I was working full-time in the hospital and then also doing my job as the director of practice. And so we hired a lobbyist to help us pass this legislation and get involved. And so Megan helped us sort through that, decide who we're going to hire. We interviewed a bunch of people. Um, we found co-sponsors for the legislation because that's another important piece. Our state association, we cannot just go and sponsor this legislation and hey, you know, Missouri legislature, we want you to pass this. We had to find people to introduce that bill. So did you help other states find co-sponsors or did they kind of help already Mm -hmm. identify people or how did that process work? Yeah. In a number of states, um, there were legislators that were like known as being the ones to carry the compact Uh, in Nebraska (laughs) specifically. um, There's one legislator who does all of the compacts. Um, But in a number, you know, we asked, you know, do you have these relationships already? And I think that's one of the most important things is that you know, advocacy is always building relationships, even when you don't have an ask. So then you can, you know, turn around and and get that ask. Um, I think two really interesting examples are in West Virginia and Wyoming. Um, Those state associations were able to enact the compact without a lobbyist. Um, In Wyoming, um, the state association leadership actually had a connection with the legislator um, because they helped um, their daughter find a field work placement <laughs> and so it was like they kind of called in a favor but it was you know a budget session and so not a lot was going through that wasn't related to the budget and this legislator really made it his priority um he actually called me up and was like I want to talk about this and I want to make this happen and you know so I I think that's really important too is to check in and see you know what kind of relationship does everyone have and you know do relationships still need to be built or um, can we identify someone now who could really take this on? Um, And so in some states, those relationships were already there and we were just able to tap into them. And then um, in others, uh, it was, you know, finding someone who who could take it on. Um, We've also been working really closely with the Department of Defense on this. And so uh, they also have been incredibly helpful um, with this whole initiative and helping to kind of push it forward in the states. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think talks to all those moving pieces. And I think that's something that people are surprised by when they go to advocate of just how many people's lives have been touched Mm -hmm. in some way, whether it be by occupational therapy or just therapy in general. And that's what we Mm -hmm. found in Missouri is we held town halls because this legislation 
let's see, it's 2020. Is that right? When we kind of started talking about getting it introduced. And so that was right before elections um, for the 2021 legislative season. And we ended up calling all these different people and candidates in our area said, Hey, we'd like to talk to you about it. We, I actually in Kansas city partnered with the Missouri PT association. Um, We held town halls, asked them, what's your opinions on OT and PT Mm -hmm. and would you support Medicaid expansion? And what do you think the role of OT and PT is? And those sorts of things. We ended up finding um, a woman named Brenda Shields, and she was a re- Republican out of St. Joe, Missouri, who had actually had a stroke and had a lot of experience with OT and PT. And she ended up being someone that um, would have that sponsored our licensure compact and ended up being a huge advocate. And now we can always call on her as well when we have questions. And mm-hmm. I think that's such an important piece. Um, and it's part of the role of the state associations to help build those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you also need people both in the house as well as in the Senate. And so it's mm-hmm. a lot of effort to get these compacts passed. You know, that bill is assigned to a committee and then in the committee there's hearings. And we were very fortunate in Missouri to have the physical therapy association speak on behalf of their, our compact, which we were really appreciated of because they had already had their compact mm-hmm. passed. And so there's a lot of different, you know, we had to find people to go to St. Joe or um, to Jefferson City, like 24 hours in advance, you know, our lobbyists would mm-hmm. kind of say, hey, the, the hearing's tomorrow at 10 a.m. Who can be here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just stuff like that happens all the time and being ready to go. Exactly. And it, the state legislatures just move so quickly. Um, there are some that only meet for a month some years, and you really have to pay close attention and strike while the iron's hot in some spaces. Um, And that's so true too. what you mentioned about working with the PTs. I think one of the other really wonderful things of this initiative is how much collaboration we have done with these other professions that have really, you know, pushed forward with these. So we've had a lot of great conversations with the folks who are working on the nursing compact, um, with the audiology, speech, language, pathology compact, with the PT compact, and learned from some things. Um, In a couple of states, we've actually um, combined the OT and ASLP compact together in bills. Um, we've kind of watched how it's worked in, for some of them. And, you know, they've been just so helpful and wonderful. And the more these compacts get introduced and enacted, the easier I think it is to be able to introduce more of them because folks understand it and, you know, don't push back and just, you know, really want to move forward with it and help as many professions as they can with it. And I think anymore, especially at the state level, what happens to one therapy, a discipline tends to affect all the other therapy Mm -hmm. disciplines. So like if OT were to lose their licensure credibility, well, PT and speech therapy are next, you know, so there's a lot of opportunities to collaborate on the state level. Mm -hmm. And we're really appreciative for that level of collaboration. So Mm -hmm. I think that also when we're talking about passing this legislature, right, when we talk about with advocacy, we have to identify the barriers and supports, right, to build those mm-hmm. allies. And so thinking like an OT, what are the barriers to the licensure compact? So what would cause someone to vote no versus mm-hmm. what are the supports that would cause someone to vote yes? And how did you explain those to groups and to stakeholders? Yeah. So I think overall, the compact has had phenomenal support. Um, it has really only failed in one state, um, and that was we ran out of time. Um, And in another state, um, we learned from what had happened and came back and were able to pass it really quickly. Um, The issues where it failed, um, there's been an ongoing trend across states around occupational licensure reform um, and how to ensure 
that professions are regulated in the least burdensome way while also still protecting the public. Um, so that has really led to folks really looking a little bit more closely at licensure efforts, as well as um, different opportunities for licensure portability or to have someone licensed a little bit faster. And while the compact seems like an obvious choice for them to go with, um, a lot of states have thought, you know, let's go for reciprocity or, you know, specifically for military spouses first. And if that's really an initiative of the state, while the compact can work hand in hand with those things and has worked hand in hand with those things, and we know that a compact much more than reciprocity would help folks both in the state and those coming into the state, um, it still sometimes it takes a little bit more time for folks to really get on board with like another idea that they don't really have going. Um, but overall, um, there's really been some phenomenal support. Um, state legislatures, for the most part, have understood how the compact works and why it's needed. And like I said, the Department of Defense has been super supportive of this initiative across professions. Um, and I think, too, just the idea of more licensure portability has also helped. Um, so while it can be a little bit of a barrier, it's also been a little bit of a support um, and also with that, too, is, you know, COVID-19. Um, we started this initiative. Um, let's see, we, we finalized the, we started working on the language and, and having folks meet um, at the end of 2019, early 2020. I think there was a meeting in like February 2020. Um, and so we started introducing in 2021. Um, and while a lot of state legislatures were really focused on COVID-19 and doing a lot there, so time-wise and priority-wise, this might not have been front and center. Um, at the same time, you know, advocating for a compact and ways to be able to access clients via telehealth more easily um, was also a really big seller for it. Yeah, that's what we were able to use as a big argument in Missouri. There's a lot of really rural areas where there's not, you know, there's some provider deserts where there's not mm -hmm. really any OT practitioners. And so we use that as a support, you know, saying, hey, if there's licensure portability, you know, people are able to practice telehealth. And so that can bring more access into our state or make mm -hmm. it easier for someone to go from, you know, Arkansas and drive up into Missouri or cross back and forth. And we also used a good argument because um, I think that's a part of knowing your state and knowing what's important um, to your state legislators and what uh, are really big initiatives for them. For us, you know, we knew that they want people to move into Missouri. We said, so, hey, if Missouri has the compact, people will want to live in Missouri instead mm -hmm. of on the other side of the state line, which then means revenue for the state, means increased taxes, means increased mm -hmm. access for patients. And so really highlighting all of those issues was helpful for us. And our bill ended up being so successful and so supported that other people wanted to start attaching their bills onto our <laughs> bill because they saw that it was moving. Um, but that's a part of that when you're looking at that advocacy piece of what are people going to say that are going to be their questions so you can be prepared mm -hmm. and what are some reasons why we support. And like you said, that competition piece, you know, we wanted to be one of the first 10. Mm -hmm. And so what's the advantage there of being one of the first 10 states and why was that something that we were so interested in? Yeah, so the OT compact is actually activated once the compact legislation becomes effective in 10 states. Um, we chose 10 because it's about, you know, a fifth of states um, and also what we've had in some of these other compact uh, bills across professions. Um, but what this means is that once that 10th state, uh, their effective date is in effect, um, they, we can begin the steps to operationalize the compact. Um, which is actually the space that we're in right now, which is very exciting. Um, 
Uh, we passed it in 19 states. Uh, so we are now beginning the parts to implement this and really be able to issue privileges to practice. So it creates the Occupational Therapy Compact Commission to implement the licensure compact. And so members of that are appointed by compact member states and maybe occupational therapy board members or board or agency staff. So by being part of that first group of states, the state really gets to be on board with uh, drafting the bylaws and the regulations uh, to really implement the compact. That doesn't mean, though, that, you know, folks that are later adopters can st will still be appointing folks to the compact commission um, and dealing with that. But those first few really get to, like, promulgate these regulations and be on the ground and starting uh, to actually, like, operationalize all of this. Yeah, and I think that was one of our, you know, we knew that Missouri would be concerned about not having a seat at the table or that other states would come in and not follow our rules. Mm -hmm. So that was one of our motivators to get people to pass it sooner. It was like, look, if you pass it this legislative session, we will mm -hmm. be one of the first 10, which means we will have a seat at that table when some of these regulations and discussions are mm -hmm. happening um, versus waiting. We may not have an initial seat and may have to fight for it more. And so that was also a big push because I think that's another thing, you know, the licensure boards are separate also from the state associations. Mm -hmm. So just another moving piece to <laughs> kind of make things more difficult. You have the state licensure boards, you have the state associations, and then you mm -hmm. have AOTA and all these different groups are kind of all coming together to talk. And so we spoke with our licensure boards. I think even in Missouri, we had someone who was on our licensure board actually participate in those early conversations about the mm -hmm. compact. And so she kept us informed. Um, but really, it's been a really great opportunity to kind of bring all of these groups together who might kind of occasionally talk together. But this was really an effort where we we're all moving towards the same thing. And so how many I think it's incredible that we already have so many states who have passed the compact. How many did you kind of what was your goal for that first year? And how did it live up to that goal? Yeah, our goal was to enact in 10 states in that first year. We really were hopeful for that, but, um, and we were successful there. Uh, Wisconsin became the 10th state uh, in their legislative session um, that like ended in January, 2022. Um, so we had introduced, I believe, initially in 16 states and it was enacted in those 10 and then it kept kind of going forward as the states have, you know, um, uh, carried over into their next legislative session. So over the last two legislative sessions, we have uh, enacted in 19 states. Um, five more have legislation pending. Um, three of those five are really moving. I was super hopeful I'd be able to say the 20th state enacted today, <laughs> uh, but it is pending in Iowa on the governor's desk. So we're hopeful to have the 20th very soon, knock on wood. Uh, and then two others just have legislative sessions that move a little bit slower. Um, so obviously our overall goal is to enact it in every single state, but um, this has definitely exceeded our expectations. Um, and we're just so, you know, pleased to see how successful it's, it's been so far. And we just cannot wait to be issuing privileges to practice. Yeah, I'm really excited for that to be active, especially for those travelers or people who do mm -hmm. the telehealth. So what is next? You know, if a state association or someone wants to get involved, what should mm -hmm. they do? What's kind of the next step for the compact? Yeah, so the first initial step is that um, that Occupational Therapy Compact Commission will be meeting in August uh, to start uh, drafting the bylaws, promulgating regulations, 
Um, we have to create a data system to be able to issue these privileges to practice. So we're hopeful that in late 2023, we'll be able to start issuing those privileges to practice. It does take a bit of time at this step. Um, but at the same time, we'll still be looking to introduce across all states. So if um, a practitioner is interested in this initiative and they notice on uh, our overall map, which you can find on otcompact.org, um, that their state is missing, um, they should definitely reach out to their state association and get involved with the state association and say, this is an initiative I really think should be pursued. And then the state association can contact us at AOTA. Um, they can contact me or they can contact our, you know, our uh, state policy inbox um, and we can work to you know, share different information about the compact. We can give an overall webinar to membership, um, to the board, and we can help um, you know, hire lobbyists or look into potential bill sponsors, um, share a little bit about what's, you know, what a barrier in your state could be. We have a number of fact sheets. Um, we can help with testimony. Really, the, there's no... Um, limit to the possibilities of what we can do to help make this a reality in any state. Um, so if folks are interested, they should definitely um, reach out and make their interest known. Yeah, I think that highlights the importance of, you know, getting involved. And I think it's important to remember, too, that state associations are only able to do what they can because of members. Mm -hmm. So if you are not a state association member, this is your call to action to be a state association member. It is often extremely affordable, like under $100 a year. Mm -hmm. It often includes, you know, CEUs and things like that, plus just all the networking opportunities. And it's the same thing for AOTA as well. AOTA can only do the licensure compact because of members. Mm -hmm. You know, our membership dues support people like you working for AOTA, you know, funding the compact and funding all these different moving pieces. And so even if you aren't an individual who is actively involved in these conversations or you're not on the board, it doesn't mean that you can't support these advocacy efforts. The best way to support these efforts, if you aren't one of those boots on the ground individuals, is by being a member. Because mm -hmm. especially in the Missouri OT Association, the only reason we were able to afford a lobbyist, the only reason we were able to do these things is because of members. So this is your call to action for anyone listening who isn't a member to make sure to sign up. Um, you can find information on AOTAs at aota.org forward slash join, and then you can Google your state association or AOTA also has links to the state associations as well. Um, so Megan, what is next for you? What else are you focusing on besides the compact? You know, what, what else is next? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've been, you know, the state uh, legislative sessions are slowly winding down. Um, but in the meantime, we'll still be focused on uh, as some of these COVID-19 public health emergencies come to an end, um, ensuring that services um, provided by occupational therapy practitioners can still be provided and reimbursed. Um, we're also really focusing still with some states on you know, Practice Act updates and opportunities for occupational therapy. One of my big pushes is around mental health. Um, and recognition for uh, occupational therapy in the mental health space. Um, so the work never stops. And there's a number <laughs> of different things that we're all working on um, just to um, ensure that uh, uh, there are opportunities for the profession uh, and protecting the profession across the state level. There's always that job security in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, there's always something new that seems to come up 
every legislative session and sometimes you don't get a lot of warning. And so there's always times where I've been emailing Megan, you know, at 11 PM, like, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we going to do about this? (laughs) And trying to figure out a solution. And so we're really appreciated to have someone like you working um, for AOTA and supporting this effort. When can people expect the first licensure compact privilege to be granted? Uh, Hopefully in uh, late 2023 uh, and just, keep in touch with the initiatives on otcompact.org, um, that it will also be where you'll be able to apply for your privilege to practice. Um, so keep an eye out there um, and keep checking the news uh, and we'll continue to update members uh, as updates occur. And you're on Twitter, correct? So where can people follow you there? I am on Twitter at mpoodler, A-O-T-A. Uh, you can also follow uh, State Affairs on Twitter uh, and we do post the updates to the overall AOTA Twitter. So. Uh, keep a watch there too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for coming on my podcast. You are my first guest. And so I'm so glad to talk about this issue and for people to hear from people like yourself and a real putting a face to AOTA <laughs> and what all is going on behind the scenes, because it really does take such a large group of people. And I think that's the biggest takeaway that people should have, that it isn't just one person or one association that's making this happen. It really relies on those grassroots individuals doing the work. And so if you're interested in getting involved, obviously join your state and association and AOTA. Um, Pretty much every state has some sort of legislative task force or group that works on these issues. That's how I got involved. You know, right after graduating, I emailed my state association said, hey, I'm interested in getting involved in policy. What can I do? And they joined me up with the legislative task force. And that's how I wound up being director of practice a year later. Um, And so if you're interested, just send that email and say you want to get more involved with advocacy. And that's a really great way to learn what's going on in your state because each state is very different. um, And it's just such a great networking opportunity as well. So thank you again, Megan, any final words? Um, I think just thank you so much. Um, None of this would be possible without members, but also without volunteer leaders like you and folks who, you know, pay attention to what's going on on the ground and and wanting to really push things forward. And um, we're just so thankful to all of our volunteers and all of our members for all of the hard work that they do um, outside of of their regular hours. And that is not lost on us. Well, thank you so much, Megan. And we really appreciate it. If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. And I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?